I'm uh, really excited to uh, have a, a special guest today that uh, I've only got to know maybe over the last two months or so, maybe a little longer, and uh, worked with her directly uh, through my daytime job uh, through Mikasa Resource Center. I actually help people start businesses, and I met her through that. And through our conversations, I found out you know that she not only is trying to start a business. She's going to talk about that, but she also does a blog and um, is a is an entrepreneur as well as more importantly, we're here to talk about her story. Uh, she is from uh, Haiti, and she'll tell us a little bit more about about that. But I'm excited to have Coralie Bertrand Guerrero on it. Welcome, Coralie. How are you today? Thank you, Mark. I'm doing well. How are you? I am great. I am great. So, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, I've gotten to know you a little bit over the last few months, but you know, there's still a lot of things I don't know about. You know, how did you end up here in the United States? Sure. Absolutely. I um, it's been almost 13 years now since I I came from Haiti to the United States, and um, I think part of me always knew that I would end up here at some point, but I thought it would be. A much more positive process. Um, how I would end up here, I thought a lot of people that I knew would um, complete high school and would come to the United States for college. So um, some of them would just come for an education and then come back to their come back to Haiti. Other people would um, come here and love it so much that they would want to stay in this country and build careers. But I was actually 15 when I moved to this country and it was directly after the earthquake that happened in 2010. Um, so it was, it definitely was not a planned process. Um, when I, um, when the earthquake happened, my sister and I were um, after school, my dad would drop us off to um, at our grandpa's condo. And, um, and his condo was on top of where he worked. So um, he and my grandma were not separated, but because of the um, political instability in the country, sometimes he would drive to the city for work and not be able to come back home because of how, because of uh, riots and uh, people getting attacked. So he had to find a way to live and work in the same place in case he couldn't come back home at the end of the day. So that's how we ended up uh, being there with him that afternoon. And it, it was just a normal day. We were watching TV. Um, my, um, and then just out of nowhere, and I'd never, I'd experienced earthquakes before, but just very, just very mild earthquakes. But this was the first time I experienced an earthquake that physically moved my body and brought me to the ground. So it was very, um, it was just a very numbing experience because um, while it was happening, I didn't realize that it was an earthquake. I just, it, it felt like not knowing what was going on, I, I felt like I was experiencing the end of the world um, because not only were uh, books from bookshelves falling from all over the place, but I could see buildings collapsing on every side. Uh, so I would look out the window and I would see the buildings collapsing. Oh my gosh. And there was white smoke uh, that filled the room around me. And um, I just laid on the ground. My sister and I just laid on the ground for a very long time. And until, until the noise stopped, until the shaking stopped. And um, so when the smoke cleared, I finally stood up and I looked around. And the first thing I noticed is that the 
the house that I was in was not um hadn't collapsed, but every every house in the neighborhood where we were did. So um, immediately I felt a lot of gratitude because um, I the people who had either suffered very serious injuries or who had died in the earthquake. Um, I didn't think that my life was any more important than theirs, but I did uh, in that moment realize that God was just looking out for me or higher power was looking out for me and that um, it was just a reminder for me not to waste my life. And I didn't realize at the time that uh, that would be the catalyst to me coming to the United States, but it had, uh, so after the earthquake happened, it took my my dad, who had eventually joined my sister and my grandfather and I, um, took us about two days to make it home. And it's supposed to be a 30 minute drive. And the reason why it took two days is because there were so many, there were bodies in the street. There, there were people whose homes had collapsed and the only, the only place they could safely stand up was outside, outside in the streets because they couldn't trust the structures not mm. to on them. So after a big earthquake, there's always a lot of aftershocks. So um, after the big shake, um, a lot of the aftershocks caused even more deaths, even more injuries to people. So almost every, every few hours you would hear about this person's no longer around and this person is no longer around. So it was very, it was a very numbing experience. And to have such close proximity to death, just, um, it, it really made me reevaluate how I lived my life. And I, I was only 15 at the time, but I think that living in a country where there's a lot of social and political instability, I've always felt very close to death, not by choice, but very close to violence as well so i'm i've always been very forced to not see life from a cynical perspective necessarily but always realize that um there's more to life than me being alive there's more there's there's always a sense of i am here today but i may not be here in a few hours and i think that because of that Everything I've ever done since then has been very intentional. Um, I've definitely made a lot of mistakes in those past 13 years, just, you know, being 13 and now being 28. There's been a lot of growth on my part, just being a child and just going through the normal process of growing up. But I, um, I can say that I've always tried to make sure that I'm not, I'm not wasting my life and I'm not wasting my time and I'm honoring the life that I have in the moment. So um, I would say <clears throat> after the, the the earthquake happened, my sister and I, um, my parents, we couldn't go to school for weeks. So it had been about a month now that our school was closed down. So people weren't able to go to work and the country was just kind of in a standstill. Nothing could happen operationally. Um, so my parents told us that um, we, so we had an, a great uncle living in Miami and an aunt living in Orlando. And 
my parents told my sister and I that they would send us to Miami or to Orlando for about two weeks until everything got back to normal. And, you know, we packed for two weeks. (laughs) And end of the two weeks, they called us and they told us that we wouldn't be coming back. And as much as I would love to say that that was a dream come true to think that I could leave my country and come to America, I was really, really distraught. I, mostly because it was never a conversation. It had never been planned. when I a lot of times when I tell this story to people, they'll tell me, well, I think your parents knew they just tricked you to send you away so that you wouldn't have to deal with the pain. And I um, I don't think so. I think that they genuinely I'm getting emotional. about this. I usually don't get emotional. about stuff. That's OK. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let it go. Let it out. <laughs> OK. <laughs> um, they'll tell me that my parents may have just been pretending they didn't want us to deal with the pain of having to be separated. So they just sent us away and then had us deal with the fact that we wouldn't be coming back after the fact. But I don't believe so. I I think that my parents are very um, positive people, people who always think that there's, there's always a light at the end of the tunnel. There's always something possible coming on the other side. And I think they genuinely believe that things would turn around, but they just didn't. Um, So the first few months of me living in this country involved um, moving from Miami. And I was with my sister and I were living with a great uncle. He was about in his seventies. So, um, you know, great person. He did so much to help us, but he just wasn't, (laughs) he'd never had children of his own. So he just wasn't to raise two teenage girls that just, oh, oh yeah <laughs> that wasn't something that he could do so um my parents had us move to uh, be with our aunt uh, and who was married at the time so our aunt and uncle at the time um and they had two children so one of them is a year older than me and he's he's a boy he's older than me and then the uh my cousin who's a girl is about a year younger than my sister so um we were definitely around the same age and going through a lot of the same challenges just growing up being teenagers so it definitely felt more of a smoother transition but even then it was just so difficult to just integrate the system because so my sister and I both I would say that we spoke conversational English when we came to America because we would watch Disney Channel and that that's how I learned how to speak English I learned how to speak English through the the Disney Channel and <laughs> my um but even then, when I um, I recognized for the first time that my language skills were limited, because I thought, oh yeah, I'll be fine. I'm gonna go in there. I'm gonna kill it. But <laughs> I would look at a page, and then I would read the words. But I would understand each one of the words and what they meant. But by the time I made it through the second sentence, I couldn't register what the first sentence meant. So that was my first. Uh, that was the first time I realized, okay, my language skills need to be a little more um, advanced than they are because I'm reading and I sound like I know what I'm saying because my accent sounds like I belong here. But I, I, the critical thinking aspect of gathering what I'm reading and doing something with it, mm-hmm. it just wasn't there. So I, I would say that that's where I, I realized, wow, I am not, I'm not like these other kids in this class and I need more help. Um, 
I was in Esau for a while because um, I sounded like I spoke English, but I definitely had a lot of challenges in understanding what people were saying to me and being able to actually apply the information. Um, and school, school was tough, mostly because uh, every the, it was what happened. What had happened in Haiti was a hot topic, and every time I would meet someone, rather than having the opportunity to have an organic conversation with them where they would get to see my personality and I would get to know theirs. It was just, oh my God, you're a refugee, aren't you? Mm -hmm. And just, I never felt that I had the opportunity to show who I was before the label of refugee told someone how to treat me. Um, so that was definitely something that um, was tough to deal with as a teenager because you're already experiencing all these identity crises and then just to add on a layer of being a foreigner, of being a refugee. Um, and I mean, I don't know that this is necessarily very positive, but <laughs> I'm a very proud person. So sometimes I, I just wouldn't tell people, you know, I would just mm -hmm. say, I wouldn't tell them where I'm from, not because I was ashamed of where I came from, because I knew what that meant. I just knew that a lot of the people I would interact with didn't know what it meant to be from where I'm from. They didn't treat me with the kind of respect that I thought everybody deserved, including myself. So um, it was that that was definitely a hump that I went through. But just because of that, I kept my head down when I was in high school. I, um, I had a few friends, but my my you know my, my aunt just basically kept my sister and I at home all the time because she just had the big responsibility of raising other people's children and you know you don't want to make any mistakes so mm -hmm. at home all the time and I didn't have anything to do but study and do my homework so so I worked really hard in school not because I wanted to because I was bored and that's what I just did for fun <laughs> and now you do a blog we'll talk about that in a few minutes so you've kind of gone the whole spectrum now writing and, and communication etc is kind of a whole part of your life it is um, yeah. and because your first two languages were french and creole right yes they were so mm -hmm. just for for people to know um you know and that's those are the two main languages in haiti correct yes they are yes. so so you've come a long way in 13 years from being someone who didn't really feel very comfortable with your english but now you you use it all the time uh, even in your business that we'll talk about here in a little bit. But I also wanted to make a point that you as a refugee, um, it's different than coming here as an immigrant because you were forced to come here. Uh, yes. And that's what one thing I want people to understand. And the, do you think that if Haiti's political system, et cetera, would have been better, mm -hmm. that after the earthquake happened, you probably would have felt more inclined to want to go back? Uh, or it was just a combination of, of both, you know, the, the, the situation there and the, the the earthquake and the damage it did. It was really no turning back for you. In my yes. I, I do think that um, it was a combination of both because of political and social instability and the violence. It had always been in the background, always. Uh, but I think that the earthquake further destabilized the country to a level where we did not think was possible. So every day I wanted to go back. I um, I would ask my parents, please bring me back, bring me back. I don't want to be here. Um, and mostly because I didn't want to be away from my family. Um, so I think that that's something a lot of people don't recognize when it comes to immigration is that 
there's there's a trade-off you you come to a place where opportunity you have opportunity you have the opportunity to work hard and see the fruits of your labor but that just means that you you have to become so detached from your culture and your family and what you know to be true and um as someone who didn't speak uh well i spoke some english but not enough to be confident in the language i would say that school was really where i identified my writing ability and i felt confident in my um in in the fact that i could be a storyteller i mm-hmm. think the first time i told the story of the earthquake and i wrote it down um and i shared it with other people i recognized how the power of story could help bring people together and could help bring um a different lens into a situation that people um didn't really have a very sophisticated understanding of because there's only so much that they can learn from the media so um in my business today i try i i work with um entrepreneurs small businesses and community based organizations to uh put their story forward and um derive their messaging from the core values that already um drive their operations because i believe that um even though people may not always be relatable the stories that they tell can be um so this is something i've i've really enjoyed doing over the past 2 years and it's been an honor for me to um help uplift the legacy of businesses doing the important work in their communities and the name of your your blog or your is cbg media agency correct yes and so g media agency is the name of my company it is um a full service marketing agency my specialties include storytelling and social media and i work with contractors to um to website development app development and graphic design and the blog is attached to the business but a separate entity and it's called mantras and manifestos yeah and i was reading um and now i can't find it <laughs> i was reading <laughs> that I thought was a really great important quote that you had said now of course I can't find it it was under um you were talking about in a nutshell since I can't find the actual quote but you were talking about wanting to have like real conversations with people about where they were really coming from and that's kind of what you were talking about uh yeah. that seems to be kind of the whole purpose of of what you're trying to do with your blog and your communication your agency um Yeah. Absolutely. I um it's that's something that really frustrates me about the human experience is the fact that language doesn't really empower us to have authentic conversations with one another or the kind of language that we are taught to have because so many things are so taboo but the mm-hmm. what I know to be true is that when you disempower yourself based on a taboo you tell yourself that your own human experience is not valuable enough to be part of a conversation and to be part of how you present yourself and this is something that i think holds people back a lot and has held me back a lot because i definitely felt more confident in myself and more confident in my abilities to have real connections with people and to um co- have opportunities to collaborate with people who understand me because i did lead with my truth and that's really what i strive to empower small businesses to do and you think your experience as a refugee has kind of inspired you to do that 
which I think is a great lesson for all of us. And part of the reason that I do this, this uh, podcast is to educate that, you know, what people like yourself have gone through. People aren't just coming here. Oh, I want to get a better life. Sometimes you're forced to come here for natural reasons like earthquakes, <laughs> political uh, persecutions, uh, being a woman sometimes in some countries around the world, being of a different uh, religious group. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why people come and you're an example of someone who has survived that and is still thriving that and building, thriving, not only because you're here in the United States, but because of your, what you've been through has just made you a more stronger person, I think, and a more uh, aware of what's really going on. And you really want to share that with people. So I think that's Absolutely. a really inspirational story. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So, um, and the name of your blog is Mantras and Manifestos. And yes. so you can check that out. She talks about a variety of different things, including things that are going on right here in Colorado. Uh, and, um, but she also is a business entrepreneur and as her CBG agency, uh, working with me directly at Mikasa, uh, she's also trying to expand that business. Uh, if you want to, if you want to talk a little bit about that, uh, as part of also part of your success story. Absolutely. Um, I think being a refugee and has definitely contributed to my professional drive because I think, um, a lot of young people grow up wanting to pursue something because they're chasing after their passion because they want to see themselves do something that they've never seen done before. So that's still very true for me. But on top of that, I I have to build a legacy for my family in a country where we don't belong. So, um, and part of my success plan <laughs> when that does happen is to have the opportunity to sponsor my parents to come to this country when I become a US citizen. Right now I'm a, a permanent resident, so it's definitely um, something that drives me and makes me, um, keeps me going when the challenges get very tough because um, I want to I want to work with other people who have had similar experiences, people who feel that uh, because of where they come from, they're not necessarily relatable in a lot of professional environments. So I want to really create the kind of network where um, where someone is from and how they express themselves and the, their stories aren't so much and so overwhelming that they can't um, they can't be part of a community. So I'm really hoping that um, having this business and this blog will help me have these conversations that matter with uh, the people who want to build community. Well, and that's what you're doing and you're gonna help our, our communities and uh, just make the world a better place with trying to create these conversations and, and just sharing your story uh, with others that may be going through the same thing. And many and thousands of people go through that where they get here to the United States and they're trying to get their parents or other members of their family. And it's such a difficult uh, journey because the system is set up for people to not come here really. Uh, and there's a lot of uh, miscommunication and misunderstanding about what's really happening. So I'm really glad that you're here to share your story. Is there anything else that you wanna share with us today uh, about your journey um, or you know, how, I guess, maybe a little bit about how difficult was it to become a resident? I guess you married an American citizen, correct? I did, I did. Okay, so that made it a little easier, I'm sure. It did, it did. <laughs> um, but 
you know, something that was kind of frustrating for me about that process is the fact that if I hadn't, if, if it didn't happen that I had found love with a person who was an American citizen, there would be no path forward for me to um, permanent residency that would eventually lead to citizenship. So I'm really hoping that in the future we can um, see policies expand so that people can really rely on themselves because I think I've had I've had been lucky that I found a person that I want to spend my life with to sponsor me. But I think a lot of people are pushed into abusive situations because they have to be with a person who um, has maybe promised them down the line to uh, apply for paperwork on their behalf. So I'm lucky that that was not my situation. But unfortunately, the fact that policies don't allow people to rely on themselves that does lead to um, abusive situations in marriages, unfortunately. It happens a lot, but you know, they've, uh, I was just at a meeting recently with the city of Denver and they say that um, they're a big supporter of immigrants and refugees. Uh, Denver is a sanctuary city mm -hmm. for immigrants and refugees, by the way, for those that don't know, but they say that immigrants and refugees are more likely to start small businesses than people from that are born here in the United States. And think part of it might be because of that drive, because of the the strife and the struggles that you've, they've had to go through to come here. Um, you know, you left your friends and other family there in Haiti and coming to a completely new place, knowing a little bit of the language and probably some of the culture from television and movies, etc. And you said you learned English from watching Disney. So um, yeah, <laughs> Disney is always great. I love Disney. I grew up on Disney as well. So, but yeah, thank you. I mean, it's just been great having you on today. Um, I, uh, I hope we continue this conversation and I really wish you the best in your, in your business endeavors as you grow. Uh, and as you expand and uh, love to work with you more directly on 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 you know some of the things that we've talked about before um, and I'm really grateful for you being on and sharing your story because that's what I'm here for with immigration consciousness is trying to educate people on what people like yourself are really going through because the the media doesn't really share the real truth often more often than not absolutely Yes, thank so. you. I, I really appreciate this opportunity. And I, um, I've, I've said this to you before, but I, I just want to say it again. Um, I really appreciate the fact that your um, podcast uplifts the voices of people that are in the community doing work to um, connect immigrants to resources because it's um, it can feel very isolating to try to be part of a new community when you don't know um, where you are and you don't know what kind of opportunities and what kind of help is accessible to you. So thank you so much for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you. And uh, again, your company's name is CBG Media Agency. Yes. Correct. And uh, so you can look her up online or uh, Facebook, I believe, and all those different places for social media. So put yourself in contact with um, with Coralie if, if you have any questions for her comments she might even want to talk to you herself you might have a story that she might want to share with on her blog so please feel free and again thank you Coralie and we will uh have a blessed day <laughs> thank you